If you are just joining us in this series, it's highly unfortunate because you really need week one and two for week three to make sense. We're in a series called ACC Is, where we're taking the time to clarify who we are as a church. Not who we hope to become, but who we already are. And the purpose is we want to develop a more formalized process of membership in this church. We want you to know what it means for you to be a faith family member of the body of Christ that you belong to. And we can't really start any of those processes until there's a moment where somebody gets in front of our church and says out loud, hey, here's who we are. But a a couple of clarifying statements about this series. You know, we've talked about the presence of God. We've talked about Jesus-centered zeal, and we got got three more to go. And I just want to stop for one second and say two things because of some of the feedback I'm getting. By the way, most of the feedback is astounding, like super positive. Thank you for your encouragement. Last week was probably my favorite sermon of all time. And, uh, and, and I just, I love what God is doing. So this is not a response to like criticism. This is just me kind of anticipating and hearing some things like, Ooh, I want to make sure, I want to make sure our people are on the same page. I am not going to say everything in this series that we are passionate about as a church. That would be impossible. And it would, it would stress me out to actually make a list of going, okay, I got to make sure I hit this and this and this. So I know as individuals within our church, there are some of you carrying different burdens and you might be sitting there week after week going, is he going to talk about the area that I am the most passionate about? Is he going to make sure to say something about this? I might, or I might not. The purpose of these five things are not to say, Hey, here's everything we believe in as a church. That's not it. It's so far, the story God has written in ACC, these are the distinctives that have been brought to the forefront and what it means for us to be faithful with what God has done, not with what human beings have conjured up. This wasn't a game plan we put up on a whiteboard and said, let's become a church that's like this. This just happened. And this is me calling it out out loud. But if I don't say the exact burden that you have or the exact community group that you want to grow, that doesn't mean that we're not behind that or we're not passionate about it. It's just impossible in five weeks to say everything. The second thing I want to say is that our church's way of doing church is not the answer to anything. Jesus is the answer to everything. At the end of the day, we don't want you to become more like ACC. What a waste of time. We want you to become more like Jesus. That is the goal. That is the prize. And and so a lot of this series, when we're naming things out loud of, hey, this is what God's doing in our church, there can be a tendency in sinful human beings like me and, and like all of you to sort of build up and puff up this pride of, yeah, that's what God's doing here. And that's the right way. And this is what the church should have been. No, 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 no. Don't let that zeal turn to pride. Let the zeal be about the glory and the fame of Jesus and let us stay humble Uh, before him. And I hope my posture remains that way. So we've talked about the presence of God. Our plan is God's presence. We just want to be where God is. That's first and foremost. We'll continue to talk about the miracle that God is with us and in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll sing about it. It's the gospel we preach every single week. Oh my goodness. The creator of the universe loves you and told this whole story in pursuit of you. The story is about his glory and our joy And that happens in a loving relationship with your heavenly father. You were created for loving union with God. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, heaven is not a destination that you go to when you die. Heaven is the realization in the here and now that God created you for an eternal union where you get welcomed into the love of the Trinity as a loved son, as a loved daughter. That's what it means to be fully alive. The presence of God. That's going to stay first. And last week we talked about Jesus-centered zeal. 
and how there's a passion and an energy to the life of a believer that you can absolutely sense here, apparently, no matter what time of day it is. And, um, and, but, but zeal is not an emotion or a feeling. It's intended to be stirred up in the context of a local church. And we got to see last week how important the commitment is to a local church over time. But all of what we've said so far kind of leads us to this moment. And it's not an accident that this one finds itself dead in the middle of the five things. ACC is the presence of God. Jesus-centered zeal, and this week, ACC is countercultural formation. Countercultural formation. What in the world does that mean? Well, when you see the word formation, you can think of it as synonymous with discipleship. I went back and forth probably 15 different times about it being countercultural discipleship. In fact, that's what was originally on the graphic. And I was like, no, we're going to go formation. No, we're going to go discipleship. But I decided against going with discipleship just because of the baggage I know many of you carry with a word like that, for good or for bad. If I put discipleship on the screen, some of us who grew up in church would automatically think Bible study, small group. Some of us would think coffee, older Christian, explaining to younger Christian what it means to follow Jesus. And I just don't want to categorize what I mean by discipleship and put it into a category in your mind. And so I'm going to go with a word that a lot of us may not be familiar with, and it's the word formation. And I'm literally taking it from the ultimate passage about spiritual formation in the Bible. It's Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. You don't have to turn there. That's not where we're going to be living today. Let's throw that on the screen. Um, And I'll read it out loud to you where Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. If you want to have a view of God's mercy, read Romans 1 through 11. Paul is saying, okay, this is what I just told you about what Jesus did to you to redeem one people to himself, no matter Jew or Gentile, by grace through faith. In view of that mercy, here's what I want you to do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where your act of worship was bringing a sacrifice of an animal, remember this, from the Old Testament to please God? Now, that's not the system anymore because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. The new system is, it's the sincerity of a worshiper who offers their body as a living sacrifice in grateful response to what Jesus has done. That's true worship. Number two, we'll stay on number one longer for the next service, guys. Number two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There it is. How do I offer my body as a living sacrifice? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word embedded into both of those is formation. Paul is saying you have a choice. You will either conform Another word would be become deformed by the world around you, by the culture that has a tide that's pulling in one direction, or you will be transformed into the image of Jesus by the renewing of your mind and walk in the will of God to a brand new level. So I came to announce to you from the very beginning that no matter how old you are, whether you're a Christian or not, how long you've been in church, what your background is, The Bible teaches, and I believe reality teaches, that you are being formed every moment of your life. Human beings are not stagnant. 
We are constantly being transformed by the patterns of life we choose, by the thoughts that we think, by the decisions that we make. And Paul is saying your formation is going in two different directions. You're either conforming to the culture around you, becoming more like the pattern of this world, or you're being transformed by Jesus. You are being formed by the world or by the kingdom of God. And the goal at Auburn Community Church is that Christ would be formed in you over the course of a lifetime. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's a bold statement, especially from a single guy. Some of the moms in the room need to go, Paul, slow your roll, okay? Almost a year ago, Courtney gave birth to Mercy Jane in less than 15 minutes with no epidural. I saw the pains of childbirth like I didn't see in one and two with said epidural. And I also saw the strength of my wife to a brand new level. And not just like strength to face pain, but her way of dealing with the pain was a headlock of my face. And she is like, I mean, I'm like, you are swole, woman. I mean, like, I felt like my head was about to break off how, like, she was, you did this to me. And, um... I think of Paul going, I'm in that kind of spiritual pain as the leader of this local church he was writing to in Galatia. That's the type of pain I feel about Christ being formed in you over the course of a lifetime. ACC, this is our goal. Our goal is not a mountaintop moment with God. Our goal is not a feeling. Our goal is not a post on social media, our goal is Christ formed in the life of a believer over the arc of a lifetime. This is the long, slow work of becoming more like Jesus. This is called sanctification. And this is where a lot of our natural style as a church falls short. Because the presence of God in a moment and all the zeal in the world won't get you this. It'll get you power. It'll get you stirred up. It'll get you passionate about the things of God. But if you got the presence of God and zeal, but you don't have a system and a plan to form mature disciples from the inside out, you're going to end up with believers who are flashpan, like a moment of glory and then gone. You're going to end up, over the course of a lifetime, with people who fade from the church. You're going to end up with people who compromise. You're going to end up in a state of deconstruction for some people where they go, you know what, I believed that in one season, but now I've kind of started listening to this voice and kind of been moved by this wind of teaching. And the sad thing about the way we do church, and I say we as in like big C church, is that for so many decades, the model of what we are doing is not built for mature, deep discipleship. We have built something, and we're a part of it as well, that, that kind of runs based on gatherings, volunteers, and resources. So a typical successful church in the eyes of the world is a church that can pull off Sundays like this, a lot of people in and out of the building, programs depending on your preference and the age group of your kids and, and activities that you're interested in. And so what we do is we have our Sunday gathering, we pull that off, and then we split off into all these different ministries. But all of that requires two things a ton of volunteers, and a ton of resources. And the key thing is, if you can recruit enough volunteers to be sacrificial enough to pull it off, and you can recruit enough donors to be sacrificial enough to give to something, the, the, the kind of three-pronged machine can, can work. 
And we've seen that happen here. The problem is, no matter how many times you do that and how well-oiled that machine is, it does not produce a mature, resilient disciple. It produces amazing moments with God and opportunities for life change. But it does not produce deep discipleship. If you're like, how do you know that to be the case? My answer would be 2020. What happened to the church in 2020? She got exposed. Now, I don't know of another pastor in the world who's more proud of the way their church handled 2020 than I am of you guys. That went about as well as it possibly could have. And I'm super pumped that y'all stay tuned in that you didn't lose your way on one end of the political spectrum or the other, that that we kept Jesus the main thing and tried to ask humble questions and pursue God amidst all the cultural turmoil around us. And that's not to say we did everything perfect, but you know, most churches fell apart. Like everybody went home and that was it. It was like once the Sunday gathering faded, their bond to that church community faded. In fact, that's the reason why a lot of you are here right now. Because you faded from another body of believers and started coming over to this one. And, but what happened in that moment is we saw, oh, wow, no matter how good our gatherings are and no matter how well-placed our ministry plans are, it does not produce deep discipleship to just get people here on Sundays and come to your thing during the week as extra credit. What the church needs is a more complete church model where Christ-likeness is the cultural norm. I'm going to say that again. What we need is a model where Christ-likeness is a cultural norm. I want it to be normal at our church to become increasingly more like Jesus over the course of a lifetime and to be the most beautiful, awesome, vibrant version of yourself at 70, 80, 90 years old. I want that to be normal here. That's the vision. That's the goal. This is not as fun or flashy to talk about as what we talked about last week. Last week was fun. Zeal for God's house will consume me. Let's turn over some tables. Let's be passionate about the glory of God. Very next week, long, slow, frustrating process of becoming more like Jesus and growing old. But we've got to hold both of those tensions collectively, and we've got to do this really well. I want to show you this in the scriptures. Did you bring your Bible today? If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up all over this space. Hold it up high. Look at somebody next to you say, I love my Bible. Love my Bible. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a book that we did an entire series on. And if you weren't here for that, every week I, I gave the reminder that Ephesians was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And the purpose of it is unity in the body of Christ. This was a divided church. They were divided over Jewish and Gentile Christians. And Paul's whole argument in Ephesians is to humble them through a presentation of the gospel that's second to none in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's absolutely phenomenal. But then in chapter 4, he gets into the practical working out of how the church, once she is unified, Jew and Gentile, black, white, rich and poor, once we are unified, okay, this is what it looks like to live this out together. And I'm going to start in verse 11. I realize it's not fair to jump into a letter like this out of nowhere, but like I said, you can go back on YouTube and watch an entire series verse by verse on Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. We'll read a little bit and talk about it. If you're there, say I'm there. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now pay attention to this. Paul is saying the purpose of those who are called to full-time ministry in a local church is to equip the body for works of service. In other words, the church model is not there's ministers and there's lay people. The church model is, the real biblical church model is there's servants and there's ministers and y'all are the ministers. Our purpose is to set you up to live your life on mission and to do it alongside of you. So God gifts certain people with the ability to lead the body of Christ and to spur them into action in their faith. But what does that action look like? See, we assume this immediately means going out, serving the poor, preaching the gospel. But Paul calls it the whole measure of the fullness of Christ the knowledge of the Son of God, and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? That means the goal of your spiritual formation is that your life would match the reality of what it would look like if Jesus Christ lived on the inside of your physical body. This is a high calling. A little creepy. Some of you are like, what does it mean for a 33-year-old Jewish man to live in and through my body? That's not what I'm saying. You keep your unique individual personality But spiritual maturity is about getting to a place where what you do, what you think about, your affections, your activity matches what would happen if the Son of God took up full residence and had full authority in your life. That's the goal. And if you're here and you're going, that sounds really far away from what I'm living like right now. Welcome to the club. That journey is the journey of discipleship, becoming more like him and less like who you used to be. Not conforming, like Paul said, but being transformed. But watch this in verse 13. He says, then when we become mature, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says if we're going to mature into the full measure of who Jesus is, we've got to do this as a group of people who are no longer so susceptible to lies, who are so easily deceived who are so easily taken aback by the cunning and craftiness of a voice here or a lie from culture here. No, the maturity equals depth in truth, particularly truth related to the scriptures. But he talks about how when you're speaking the truth in love, you will grow into a mature body the more each member is doing their part. So when we talk about membership at our church, I want to clarify something. We are not talking about a social club or a country club membership where it's like, ooh, I got my card, I'm in, and everybody else is not, like like an insider group. No, 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 this is actually, I stole this from one of our elders this week. He was telling me, he was like, I just, every time you say membership on stage, I kind of get a little nervous, because I'm like, I just don't want our people to think that we're gonna do this insider-driven thing. Like, that's not what it is. And he said, but then when you started talking about Romans 12 and how we're all members of a body, he said, I want our church to think about membership not as joining a club, but as having a part to play. Because a member of a club has access, but a member of a body has a function. So when we talk about membership, we're talking about whether or not you're playing your God-given part that we need you to play if we're going to work into full health and into unity. 
And I told our prayer team before church this morning, these 21 days, that truth has hit me about our church more than ever before. The more more voices get up here to lead us at six o'clock in the morning, the more I'm amazed by, you know what? I thought I was doing our church a favor by how often it's my voice from the front, but oh my goodness, you let other age groups and other different groups of people from different sides of whatever start speaking the word of God together and the unity that's coming from that. And it's, and it's not about speaking on a stage with a microphone, but it's about everybody expressing their gift, their microphone, the way God has wired them. So how are we setting up this church for people to actually do that? Well, Paul says that's going to be reflected in how mature you become as a church. But when we talk about membership moving forward, please don't think of it as, okay, am I going to get in? Am I? No, no, no. It's really a question of, am I doing my part? I am a member of a body. Now watch verse 17. This is when it takes a turn for the worse. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So as Paul is building up this picture of a mature body, he builds up this picture of where we all started from. The Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. When Paul describes our sinful condition, he's describing something that's a lot worse than we thought it was. When Paul talks about sin, he doesn't go, remember when you did those bad things? Remember when, when you had this temptation and tendency to like disobey God? No, he goes like, if you're separated from God, your heart is hardened. You are not sensitive to the things of God. You do whatever you want for yourself. You are full of greed, and you can't even sense the presence of God around you. Church, we need to be reminded that people who are not in loving relationship with Jesus, yes, they have dignity because they are made in the image of God, but they are not adopted into the family of God, which means they are not like God, which is why they need to be saved. See, Christianity is not doing the world a favor through good works and efforts to help clean up society. Christianity is God's plan to take evil, dead, separated from him people and make them alive in Christ. And watch this. That's the position that you started from. And that's the old you that has to be put to death as the new you comes alive. Here's the bad news about discipleship. You're not starting in neutral You're starting from a place and a person who in it of yourself has absolutely no hope to be like God. Theologically speaking, we'd call it depravity. Like you have nothing good to bring to the table and you have a long way to go to not conform to the pattern of this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And left to yourself, that's who you're gonna default to. And even when you become saved, there's still this old you who sticks around who needs to be slowly but surely put to death in acts of faith. 
And so the church's responsibility, everybody look up here and you got to hear me say this. The church's responsibility is to make sure that what we are doing here is actually set up for that version of you to be put to death and the new you to come alive. For the version of you that was so susceptible to lies to be living in the truth. For the version of you that was addicted to this framework of thinking or this worldview or this particular sin struggle to be totally free to live in the kingdom of God. And if we're going to do that, we have a lot of work to do. Like from right here forward, we have a lot of work to do. The picture I want in your head is uh, this picture from World War II. I tell stories about Dietrich Bonhoeffer a lot. He's one of my favorite pastors in church history. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany when the Nazis are taken over and Christians really have a decision about conforming or transforming culture because Hitler wasn't really aiming at Christians. He was aiming at Jews. And so Christian leaders had a choice. Do I, you know, kind of play nice with the Nazis so I don't die and lose my church? Or do I stay true to the scriptures and defend the oppressed and actually do what God calls me to do? And a lot of leaders and pastors were compromising. In fact, there's stories in World War II of Christian churches who would sing their songs louder on Sunday mornings so they didn't have to listen to the sound of the screams from the trains that were taking Jews away to concentration camps. They would just sing louder to cover up the guilt of their conscience. That's how much the church was compromised. So Bonhoeffer stood up and was like, uh-uh, we're not, we're, we're not doing that. We're staying true to the word of God. He got some of the best books you can possibly read, The Cost of Discipleship, Life Together, to name a few. He's phenomenal. But he started a seminary in this little village called Finkenwald. And it wasn't like just you come here to go to school and learn about the Bible and then you'll become a pastor. It was like boot camp for pastors. It was, you're going to get up early, we're going to practice these disciplines, we're going to fast, and we're going to pray on these hours, and we're going to memorize these scriptures. I mean, it was like super intense. So he had a friend who came to visit the seminary and straight up asked him, hey, we, we know you want like future leaders to know what they're doing, but why does it have to be this aggressive? Why does it have to be this intense? And the story goes, this is in his, his biography, that they got into a boat, went across a lake to a place where you could see a Nazi air base, troops moving around, planes landing and taking off. And he, he painted that picture on one side and his seminary was on the other side. And he said, you want to know why it has to be so intense? Because this, the seminary, has to be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. And if it's not, we won't sustain. ACC, look at me, and this is going to be humbling and sobering to realize. If what we're doing here is not stronger than what culture is offering to form the next generation, and not just the next generation, every generation, we don't stand a chance at making mature disciples of Jesus. This, what we're doing here, must be stronger than that. How we're forming people into the image of Jesus has to be stronger than the TikTok algorithm. Which, by the way, if you look up facts on it, that thing is made to hijack your attention. And it's not just hijacking attention. It's, it's taking away conviction. You, you talk to people who are being deeply formed by things being taught on social media, and we look up after a certain amount of time going, who taught you to think that way? Who taught you to process this way? Our culture is doing everything it can to form people into a certain political agenda, into a certain ideology, and secularism is not a, a movement of the past. It's something that is on the rise, and it's something that is in Auburn. 
I have a tendency, and I know a lot of parents in the room have the same tendency as well, to think, oh, we live in Auburn, so we're safe from, like, some of the crazy stuff that's happening in, I don't know, a place like Portland or Austin or Seattle or New York. Like, like we kind of got a sort of biblical worldview here, and there's churches around every corner. Listen, if, if you're not noticing how much secularism is seeping in to this university and to some of our local schools, you're not paying any attention. And that's exactly how it happens, by the way. There are things that are forming a generation faster than, oh, we got four services on Sunday. And come to wake this week and college night. And college night is Tuesday. We do want you to see you guys there. And we got all these groups that we're doing and activities. And, and we can pat ourselves on the back. We feel really good as a church. But here's the humble reality that I've had to come to grips with the last couple of years. This is not stronger than that. We cannot outform the iPhone. We're losing. And there was a moment in my office, I don't remember how long ago it was, I literally slammed my Bible on my desk and was just like, we can't, we can't compete. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how powerful the sermon is. It doesn't matter how good the set list is. It doesn't matter how streamlined our processes are. It doesn't matter how perfectly we execute. We cannot outform the iPhone. We cannot outform how inundated and overwhelmed our people are with other noise. And I don't say that to depress you today. I say that so that we collectively lift our eyes to God and ask him to do the impossible in and through this church. It, it should feel overwhelming, and it should feel impossible, but we're not without hope. Okay, what Bonhoeffer was doing in Finkenwald, like that across the street from a Nazi airbase, that's ridiculous. What, what a matchup. That's a blowout, right? That's like the Eagles last night against the Giants. Just unfair. Um, it was awesome. I'm feeling good today, guys. If you can't tell. Wait, the, the church in Germany outlasted Nazism? Still alive today? Yeah. Because what looks on paper like a mismatch in the kingdom of God, if you get people looking to Jesus, you cannot underestimate what he will do. Four guys in Babylonian captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how are they going to resolve to stay faithful to God when thousands of others are compromised and the culture of the Babylonians has taken over and engulfed the people of God? Yeah, but the, the faithfulness of a few and God preserves a remnant. Our whole series on Daniel was about that, y'all. What about the disciples? Jesus is raised from the dead, but no one really knows. A couple hundred people. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a poor group of renegade Jewish people. Take over the world with this message. I'll see you guys later. That's impossible. That's never going to, oh, wait, here we are in 2023. So I know what I'm describing on paper sounds like that you're never going to be able to form resilient disciples of Jesus who can stand in a cultural moment that's all about compromise, that's all about going the way of the world, that's all about the world canceling you when you stay true to scripture, that's all about doing whatever we want, that's all about we are a God in our own image, not that God, we reject him. But I'm telling you where the church is willing to look to Jesus as our hope and cry out on our knees for revival, he's faithful to answer those prayers. So God can do it. 
He's more than willing to, but it's not going to be looking to me or looking to us for that plan. But to do what I'm talking about doing, we have to have an intentional unified plan. It cannot be miles yell louder. It cannot be better execution of what we're already doing because we're not perfect at what we're already doing, but I think we're doing a pretty good job. It's just not enough. So what's the plan? The plan is to read the rest of the passage. Just keep going. Here's the plan. Verse 20. That, talking about who you used to be, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That passage holds the plan. That, the old you, that's not the way of life that you learned when you were taught about Christ. You were taught with regard to your former what? Way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That, those few verses and so many others in the New Testament give us our game plan for how are we going to build up mature, deep followers of Jesus who are not going to be swayed by the world without, around them, but be formed by the word within them. Here's how. To form resilient disciples, we must practice a new way of life rooted in the truth of the scriptures. I'll say it again. To form resilient disciples. That's a key phrase. Not just I follow Jesus, but my faith is resilient enough to survive hardship, to survive rejection, to survive when all my classmates are thinking a different way is normal. To form resilient disciples, we must practice a new way of life rooted in the truth of the scriptures. And if that's hard for you to write down or remember, think of it this way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those three claims about himself are absolutely massive. The only way to God, I'm telling you the truth, not a lie. And if you come my way, you'll find the life you were created for, not the death that you're doomed for. But when Jesus said, I'm the way, he was not just describing a pathway that he was going to walk, he was describing a pathway that we're intended to follow as disciples, a way of life. And then he said, I'm the truth, which describes knowing what's true about reality and holding on to it more than the lies of this world. I think what Jesus gave us in John 14, six was more than an outlandish claim about himself, which ends up being true. I think he's giving us a roadmap to spiritual formation and whatever plan we come up with in the future, it's going to be rooted in this reality. So if this whole talk is over your head, everybody look back up here and don't and make sure you do not miss what I'm about to say. Our plan for countercultural formation in our church looks like this. The way plus the truth equals the life. The way plus the truth equals the life. Practicing the lifestyle of Jesus combined with knowing the truth of the scriptures and holding on to it more than you hold on to lies will produce the life you were created for. So a brief word on each one, and this is an incomplete plan that we have in place, but I got to give you the framework for what we're thinking about. And a lot of this will be really unfamiliar to a lot of you. But like I said, this is stuff that we've been praying toward and thinking toward for years. Number one, the way, what do I mean when I say the way it's the way plus the truth equals the life, the way, 
This one, if you grew up in the Bible Belt in church, is so unfamiliar. The way of Jesus is learning to practice his lifestyle with your body. Sound weird? It is. Because normally in church, when we talk about church membership, we put a belief statement on a website or print it out, have you read it and sign something saying, I believe those things. For most of 2000 years, it's been about a belief system, a doctrine where you go, okay, I ascribe to those beliefs. I agree to that. So I'm a member of this faith family. But being a disciple of Jesus is about engaging your body as members of his body. And here's a better way of saying this. I think a lot of us grew up in church traditions that taught us that becoming a, a disciple of Jesus is treating your body like a brain on sticks. So we were taught, know the truth, memorize the truth, regurgitate the truth, renew your mind, 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 mind. And the rest of your body, eh, it's all kind of a wash. Just know your stuff. Absolutely not. Like we are a spiritual body. And becoming more like Jesus looks like including your physical body in the process of doing things that Jesus did. Because if you are a disciple, you're actually a disciple of his lifestyle just as much as you are a disciple of his teachings. Think about this. WWJD, what did Jesus do? That, that was an effort many, many years ago to get people to think through when they're about to take an action. What would Jesus do if he were me? It's a great discipleship question. Here's the problem. You will never be able to do what Jesus did until you learn to live like Jesus lived. It's the lifestyle that produces the results. Some of our Christianity is like trying to be a professional athlete and not practicing at all. So I'm gonna go play in the NBA. Have you ever shot a basketball? No, but I've like studied, I've read about it. And it's like, oh, well, you're, you're not going to belong out there. You're not going to make it. But yet, that's how some of us approach our spirituality. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, the whole point of it is practicing what Jesus taught. At the beginning, he who obeys and practices these things. At the end, if you listen to what I just said and you practice it, you're like a wise man who built their house on the rock. Wait, how do we practice the way of Jesus? It looks like living the life Jesus lived that produced the results that you see. In other words, we have a model in the gospels that's more than intellectual teachings about reality. It's practical teachings about how you're supposed to live your life. Things like meals with our community, Jesus going to synagogue once a week, Jesus practicing Sabbath and a, a simple lifestyle of rest, deep community with the people around him, rhythms of prayer that look like getting alone with God a lot, silence and solitude, deep study of the scriptures. When you are a disciple of Jesus 2,000 years ago, that was not an invitation to come to his class. That was an invitation to live his life. The whole idea was, hey, come follow me around all the time and get so good at doing what I do and replicating what you see me do that once I'm gone, you're able to do it without me. And that's exactly what he built into the disciples. It wasn't, hey, did you, did you memorize everything I taught? The purpose of everything he taught was that it got regurgitated through a lifestyle of living. And at ACC, what we've started praying toward and what we want to submit to you is that you can't just have the truth without the way. You have to have a way of life that goes, hold on, how did Jesus live his life 2,000 years ago? And maybe I'm supposed to learn how to do the things that he did so I can live the life that he lived. And we are a long way from being ready to put anything in front of you like, hey, here's our plan for all the things that you need to do. At a minimum, what I want you to do is start to read the gospels differently. 
and start to ask yourself this question. If I modeled my life the way Jesus models his schedule, the practical way he lives his life, would things match up? It is not simply about memorizing facts. It is about a lifestyle of hospitality, generosity, Sabbath, meals, prayer, silence, so many other things. And this is what, for the last two years, I've been trying to say from stage in as many ways as I could say it. Listen and obey. Hear and do. This is the whole New Testament. But we've gotten so good at listening. We've gotten so good at taking in the information. But are we actually walking it out and working it out? The series on Daniel was about spiritual formation. The series Remnant on the Sermon on the Mount was, hey, if you want like a basic synopsis of the teachings of Jesus, here it is. Here's the things you should practice. Here's how you should fast. Here's how you should pray. Here's how you should respond when you have enemies. Here's how you should respond to worry. It is a map for how to live not a history book with content that's helpful to study. Last thing I'll say about this is that we have a long way to go, a long way. If you wanna do this well in the life of a church, it takes time. I would say maybe, just, just to get your expectations there, maybe a decade from now, we're doing this kind of well. You're like, what? We're a culture of immediate results and no, 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 if we're gonna become a church that does this well, this is not normal for a reason because it's hard but we're already taking steps toward it. When I announced that we hired Michael Fagan, everybody clapped, and then I said, yeah, but he's not the worship pastor. He's the formation pastor. And y'all were like, oh, is he still gonna sing? What's formation? Like, I, I don't know what that is. And yes, you, you know, he's still up here leading worship, but his assignment, along with a lot of people, is, hey, are people becoming more like Jesus the longer they stick around this church? And, and in whatever ways, it's not natural for Christ's likeness to be our culture. What can we do better? So we don't know what it's going to mean. It could mean every community group goes, hey, that, that was an old way of doing things. We got a new plan, and here's what we're going to do. I don't want to scare you, but I also want to tell you the way we lead things at ACC is cloud by day, fire by night. God, what are you revealing and how can we be obedient in real time? There, is, there are fixed rhythms coming. I'm thinking a lot about these 21 days, how powerful it is to have a fixed rhythm of prayer. Now, do I think 6 a.m. every day all year long is realistic? I do not. I know some of you do. You're zealous. You're like, we got to keep this going all year. You're like that kid at youth camp that didn't like cut their armband off when they got home. And it's like a year later and that thing is nasty and has mold on it. And it's like, dude, I know you had a moment with God. Well, cut that thing off, man. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like for the life of our church. And I definitely don't know what it's going to look like for y'all who are at other locations. So much of ACC has happened so fast to a scale that none of us were prepared for. But I hope it brings you peace to sit in here and go, hold on. They're thinking about the long-term impact of what we are continually doing week after week. I would love it if being a member of ACC was more about adopting a way of life and following Jesus than it was about agreeing to a belief statement. That's what I came to bring to y'all today. We need to build a way of life here that's so normal. It's almost a culture you become engulfed in and not realize it. Oh, you don't spend time alone with God every day? Well, Jesus did that, so we all do that because we're his followers. You don't practice Sabbath? You don't like take 24 hours and breathe and let God be God once a week? Wow, that's super weird. You know what's weird? It's to do it right now. Why? Because we're in a culture that tells you do, 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 and never stop, and never stop, and hurry, and hurry, and hurry. What does countercultural formation mean? It goes, it goes hold on. If, even if the culture's moving 100 miles an hour this way, we're going to move at the rhythm of Jesus. 
And we're going to learn to live the way Jesus lives, and we're going to do this in community together. I'll talk very briefly about the second one. I know I'm going long today, but this is so important. You got the way, but then you got the truth. You got the truth. Everything I just said about the way does not negate or make the truth unimportant. In fact, it actually makes the truth more important because to understand the way of life you're supposed to get, you got to get it from the right source. The enemy of your life spiritually is lies. The devil has this repetitive plan generation after generation after generation. He uses three things to engulf society in a world of lies. The three enemies of your soul, traditionally, if you talk through church history, it's the devil, the flesh, and the world. And the combination of those three things creates a system that you and I swim in and live in every day. If you want detail on this, it's in the book, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. I've recommended it many, many times. But essentially, the synopsis of that book is this. Here's what the enemy does. He's done it from the beginning of time. He's still doing it now. He gives deceptive ideas. Those are called lies, blatant things that are not true, but they're not neutral lies, They're lies that are tied to a disordered desire in your flesh. So the enemy doesn't lie to you about dumb stuff like, oh, South Carolina beat Auburn yesterday. You're like, no, that's not true and is never true. Um, Like, I I don't, why? Why Why doesn't he lie to you about that? Because that doesn't matter. He lies to you about things that your broken flesh is already tempted to believe based on what you want in your sinful state. And then after you say yes to those deceitful desires, that's what Paul calls them in Ephesians 4, they become normalized in a culture that now when enough people have said yes to disordered desires, we make it normal to be anti-God and we call evil good and good evil. And that's why the world you're living in right now, the United States of America right now that has thrown arms around secularism, what are we doing? We're literally calling evil things good and good things evil. And I look like a crazy radical for getting in front of you every week and preaching the Bible. Why do I look like that? When decades ago, everything I'm saying now in 2023 would have been perfectly normal. Well, it didn't become less true. Our culture just got more comfortable in the dark. That's what happened. And so at ACC, guess what we're going to do? Preach the whole counsel of God. And we're going to preach it like it's as true as it was 2,000 years ago today, right here, right now. We're going to try to interpret it correctly. We're going to make sure we're sensitive to people in real time. Yes, full of grace and full of truth. But ACC, please stop seeing truth as something to be apologized for and start seeing the truth as the roadmap to freedom. When we offer people truth, we're, yeah, you can clap for that. We're not... We're not offering people this burdensome, yeah, you gotta do this. I know you got all these temptations, but the Bible says this. Jesus said the truth will set you free. We gotta stop saying stuff and having all these qualifications and all these things to prevent being canceled in the eyes of whomever and whomever. Did y'all read Ephesians 4, what I just said about humanity? What Paul just said. He literally said, human beings without Jesus, whoa. Like you're, you're the most selfish, greedy, all about your own desires and hard-hearted toward God, like desensitized. Like this is offensive stuff. And as churches, I think we got really comfortable watering it down for, okay, we don't want to offend a new person and we want people to know that in their sin struggle, God meets them where they are. And so we got really good at kind of watering down scripture, which seemed like a good model 20 years ago because it filled the chairs instead of the pews. But here's the problem with that. It creates a superficial, shallow spirituality that doesn't produce resilient disciples. So yes, we're, we're going to tell the truth at ACC. We're going to study it. 
We're going to be offering within our church seminary classes for people to get built up in their faith at a deeper level. But the purpose isn't to become more knowledgeable about the Bible so that we can puff ourselves up with knowledge. The purpose is to activate a lifestyle of faith that looks like the way of Jesus. The way plus the truth equals the life. Last thing I'll say about this one. This is, when you're telling the truth in love, it's deep work. Scripture pierces sharper than any double-edged sword to bone and marrow. That's what it says about itself. And so a lot of discipleship is letting the scripture go where you haven't been willing to go. That's why in our discipleship model, we offer emotionally healthy relationships and emotionally healthy spirituality because we believe spiritual health and emotional health are one and the same. You might know half the New Testament, but the fact that you're so offended when someone gives you a bad look because your dad was always offended when someone gave them a bad look and you haven't confronted that immaturity in your attitude at any point. Yeah, the word of God needs to get in there and uproot that. Some of us have never taken into account the generational stuff that was passed down to us. And so our discipleship with the truth has to go deeper than, okay, I got verses that I memorized. Cool. No, it goes deeper and deeper so that we can be truly changed and transformed. This is listening and doing. It's renewing the mind and engaging the body. And what does it produce? Lastly, promise I'm done. Caleb, come up here. I got to hurry because we got another service coming. Number three, the life, the life, the end game, y'all. This is the beautiful part. I know this is a hard sermon. I want to talk about zeal. Um, This is hard. This is really hard, but this is so necessary. The end game of our goal is that you are a person of love and deeply formed into the image of Jesus. There's nothing we want more for you than for you to grow old as a person of love in relationship with God, to be tenderhearted and the best version of yourself the further you get on the journey. Life is hard. Life is complicated. You need something deeper. The story of your life is not the story of a movie with a setting, an ordeal, a climax, a resolution, and a future. It's not what happens. Life is messy. Life is hard. But in it, you have a rabbi who says, come, follow me. And as you fix your eyes on me, you'll be transformed. What I just put in front of you is not a game plan. Okay, we're going to do what Jesus did. And we're going to believe the truth about scripture and hold on to it and grow. And we're going to do both hand in hand so that it produces not a machine. It's a relationship that's built on worship. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is our theme verse for 21 days of prayer. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We want you transformed glory to glory to glory. And it happens by contemplating who Jesus is. So how do I do what Jesus did? How do I become more like him? How do I, how do I grow in my learning of the scriptures? Here it is. You ready? You just be with him. You abide in him. You remain in him. Stay close to him. Talk to him. Look at him. Look to him. There is no magical formula. This is a loving relationship. And it's one we get to step into right now. If y'all would, get your elements for communion out. If you don't have one, you can just raise your hand right where you're at. Our team will bring one to you. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you just want to leave that under your seat. This is a great moment for reflection. Everybody else, let's remember that the body and the blood of Jesus are the reason why we have access to God. Got several over here on this right side that I don't know if anybody's accounting for over here. These guys all came in together. You guys got to grab your communion. Come on. Husbands, pray over your wives. Let's enjoy these moments before we sing and let's, let's contemplate the glory of God together.